You may remember him as a 13-year veteran of Entertainment Tonight, a regular contributor to The Hollywood Reporter and L.A. Weekly, executive editor at Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, and the creator of ItCameFromBlog.com, but most importantly, the towel wrangler on the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. He's the writer-director of the critically acclaimed documentary In Search of Darkness, a journey into iconic 80s horror, and is now setting out to capture more of our geeky childhood memories with In Search of Tomorrow, the definitive 80s sci-fi documentary, writer-director David Weiner. Prepare for a very special insider's look at the world of science fiction on film tonight on Lupin Larry, Guardians of the... In a world filled with intergalactic space battles and a human destruction on a global scale and psychopathic serial hauntings, there's only one team who can make sense of it all. When your world is overrun with rampant pop culture, call Luminary Guardians of Geeks. We are back once again. How's everybody doing out there? This is Loop and Larry, Guardians of Geek, with a very special guest. And we got David Weiner on the show. David, how's it going? It's going great. It's going really great. And I got to say, every time I hear that Wilhelm scream, it just gives me <laughs> warm fuzzies. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, how's it going down there in L.A.? Of course, it's, we're in the middle of a, almost a science fiction movie right now. How's, how's that, what's the scene down there? Uh, I'm fortunate that uh, where I live, they're they're doing things to make sure that we are not closer together and that we are farther apart, and that makes me feel very happy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just such a weird time right now, right? Like, it's like, is there a lot of people out, or how how does it feel? Actually, it's it's a very strange thing because nature is now kind of trying to take things back. And so I'm seeing, I live in an area that's, uh, it's suburban. It's sort of, uh, I live, as the mountains start growing, uh, that's where I live. So down the hill is lots of houses in suburbia. Up the hill is a mountain. And I'm seeing more deer and rabbits and coyotes and creatures and woodland creatures. And they break out in song every morning at 7 a.m. And it's really <laughs> That's awesome. That's so, remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> so let's... Uh... Last time you were on, we were talking about you hadn't done your documentary on horror yet. That hadn't come out. Um, tell me uh, about this, the, the getting it finished and how it all came together and, and just how people loved it. Well, in a nutshell, I'll make it sound like it wasn't any hard work at all, but it was labor <laughs> of love. But, uh, yeah, in the course of a year, we, uh, we, we raised money, we filmed, we edited and assembled the most amazing cast of upwards of 50 people icons of the 80s uh, horror movement and we put together what ended up being uh, a four and a half hour documentary and uh, people actually not only watched it they made it through to the end and and shockingly many people said i thought it was going to be so long that i wouldn't be able to finish i could go for another four hours easily yeah and so it it, it was really well received by the fan community and uh it's been it's been it's brought people together and it's made people want to explore 80s horror that much more it's funny it's funny that you say that about uh people being concerned about the the length of it uh loop and i were talking just before the show we both watched it all the way through and we both didn't recognize the amount of time that had passed like it's it's such an easy watch and it's so intriguing and so 
full of information that the, the time just flies by. Like people should not be daunted by the amount of time that they have to put in because it's, it's fantastic. Well, thank you. Well, you know, I, I consider myself a bit of a scientist, and I decided to make a documentary that's also a time-space continuum. <laughs> and uh, you actually really only sat there for two minutes, but it just felt like wow. four. It was, but it was called four and a half, but it was actually seven days. So, well, well it certainly felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, what I loved about the doc too is how you broke it up um, between like you had all the different years and you focused on different movies. And uh, can I just give a shout out? I, is, is your editor Samuel Way? Is that the name? Samuel Way, please, please shout out. I, I got to give this guy a shout out because both Lawrence and I have worked in t in the Lawrence and I've t worked in the TV industry and we both edited things. And sometimes a thirty second commercial seems like it takes forever to edit. I can't even imagine editing a documentary of this size. Well, we put Sam through the ringer many times over, and after several breakdowns, he came out on the other side of broken man, and that we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> And Sam, if you're listening now, you know exactly what I mean, and you know that we're also we love it. Uh, we love you for doing uh, this, and and he did he did an amazing job, and um, I give him I give him absolute tremendous top credit for making this uh, an entertaining, fast paced ride that doesn't feel like it's it's a slog, and. Uh, Yes, absolute kudos to Sam. He's I, incredibly talented editor. I just have to say too, like speaking of which, like the the pace of it was so amazing. Like it wasn't like because sometimes you'd, you'd assume fast paced off a top, and then as you get editing more, you kind of tire out and it gets less and less. It is like on the entire time you're watching it, and it's so intriguing. Well, the thing about this movie is that there's so much ground to cover, and in so little time, arguably. And uh, if you want to do give everything it's due, you A, can't tackle everything, and you B, uh, can only give only so much time to something before you have to move on to the next thing. And so short of being an ADD experience or an ADHD experience, um, you, you just have to what, – what's good about it is that you get a, a taste of something, you learn a little bit about something, and, and if you are interested, you're, you're encouraged to find out more. But if you're not interested, you're already on to the next thing, and you're already on to the next anecdote, and you're already, and, and, already on the next and that was, segment that was, or movie. And uh, I think that works extremely well with this format and this structure when you have to tackle 10 years of hundreds of films. And that was part of what I found really exciting about this documentary, is that there were so many movies that I was familiar with, but then there were those movies that I knew of and had maybe seen the cover art. <laughs> but I hadn't actually watched. And those, it was those moments that really made me want to go back and say, okay, now I know like a bit of insider information about this. I've got to go and watch that movie now. And, and it's, it was, one of, that, it's one of those things where I, I, I'm, just, I'm the same way too, especially if you're just sort of scrolling through and whether you were in the video store or whether you're scrolling through on, on streaming services at this stage of the game. Oftentimes we're like, oh yeah, that movie. I always wanted to know more. I never saw it. I wonder what the deal is. So to be able to take people's hands and sort of give them a, a little walking tour of, of the film and let them decide for themselves beyond that whether they actually want to commit to watching it or not, that's a fun element of the movie too. I found I, that I was like throughout the movie, I was actually, it's right beside my desk. It was a, a pad and I was jotting down movies I want to buy. Based, based on it, because the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, I'm not, why don't I own this movie? I can't believe I don't own this. And I'd be jotting these movies. I have a whole pad full of movies now i got to go either watch or purchase. 
And what? that's what made the cut. I mean, so many other movies we were, we wanted to put in, and we had uh, we had segments in there, but we had to cut for time, and sometimes they just didn't have enough material to justify being in there, even though we talked about it. Um, but and I had to kill a couple babies too, so it, it was definitely a, a a challenging experience just to try and put it put in as much as you fit in. Put and fit becomes foot. Put in. <laughs> um, as much as you can, um, it, it just, uh, gosh, I mean, I, I have a laundry list of films that I wish were in there. I, I was responsible for making the choices. Yeah. The, what, what I came away with after watching this whole thing was I felt like I had just walked through a video store. You know, I, I had the, the same feeling after watching this as I used to get when I go to the physically go to a video store and walk down the horror movie aisles and see one title and then move to the next title and flip it over and read the, uh, the description on the back and look at the art on the front. And then I move to the next one. This is, that's what this documentary felt like to me. And you, it, it kind of, the documentary itself emphasized that by having a section in there talking about the video store and, mm-hmm. you know, the whole process of, of doing that. And it, it, I just, it was so nostalgic. Well, that, it's funny because that's, that's one of those, arguably mundane elements of life where you're like, well, I remember watching the movie, but how important was looking for the movie to me? But now that that experience is, is all but gone in terms of physically going to a location to sort of sift through and, and make your decision, um, it, it, it is nostalgic simply for that. We miss that kind of element. Uh, now, now we have an, an embarrassment of, 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 of choices uh, that's so many. Sometimes you, you spend 45 minutes trying to figure out what you want to watch when it used to be you were in and out in 20 minutes and you knew what you wanted to get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, that I really enjoyed being able to do for this movie because I knew I could not tackle everything was at the very least I could give it some visual or verbal lip service, uh, especially with that wall of posters. So you have a wall of posters of films that even though we're not going we're not going to focus on that at least you get to see it so you know that we know that it's out there. Yeah, I think I saw Hell Night. On that one too. I saw Hell Night I think on there like a couple other movies that were like that we've we've talked about on the show and I saw them on there and I was like I wonder if they're going to talk about this and then I'm like oh no they're too, too too far in now they maybe won't but it was cool to see all those that you, they're still represented even though um you didn't like talk about them specifically but they were still out there. It was great. Yeah, and it was, thank you. Well, I'm glad, it, I'm glad it, 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 it sparked some sort of nostalgia for you. Uh, one of the segments has uh, uh, Heather Wixon is talking about how she would take um, uh, 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 Terror in the Isles. And she, because the, 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 the poster for that and on the box of that, it lists all these horror movies and thrillers. She would take that and she'd walk through the aisles of the video store herself and say, all right, well, what haven't I seen? What do I know about? And she would use that as a guide. And I always thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that, that was that was really neat. I thought that was a very cool memory for her and sort of a way of, of, of doing that. And that's sort of what this doc did for us. <laughs> it sort of was a list of all of the movies that we knew of and had wanted to, to watch, but now we could go back and say, oh, right, it was that one, and oh, there was this one. And even, like you said, the wall of posters, even to see um, the names of some of the films that we remember was enough to, to bring back that memory and to you know, jot down that name. <laughs> the whole idea, the whole purpose is to let you relive the ones that you love 
remember why you love them, learn something new about them, see people who are, who are titans of the industry talk about their favorites as well. And then when all is said and done, uh, go find yourself, you know, revisit or, or discover the new ones and, and do some hearty horror binge watching. Now that this documentary is out, can you look back on the process and tell us sort of what was your favorite moment? Who was, whether it was a person you spoke to or a piece of information you found out, what was the, what was the thing that sticks with you most about this process? Well, I really enjoy the fact that we had uh, close to an hour or more with everybody that we sat down with. Uh, these, these, these conversations that we had weren't caught at a convention or at a junket where you have limited time or it's loud and just distracting. You know, these were, these were moments where I got to take time to go down tangents and rabbit holes and find out some amazing stories uh, about the, the projects that we know and love but also find out other anecdotes that I just didn't know or, or, or opinions. Uh, and and certain, certain individuals just realizing that they might be an actor or an actress, but they ultimately are incredibly knowledgeable and have very, very concrete thoughts about the genre and are huge fans. And uh, that, to me, was extremely refreshing because when you line up these people, you know, they're, they're familiar faces. But they might not necessarily know. You'd, you'd be surprised. Just because they're associated with a genre doesn't mean that they like that genre. Heather Langenkamp, the first thing she said to me, because I had worked with her several times before and I would interviewed with her, um, she said, David, I'm happy to do this, but I don't think you know me as well as you think you do because I don't like horror movies. Ugh. And um, <laughs> that to me was interesting. I said, well, we could use that. I want to know why. Why aren't you interested in horror movies? What, what, what is it about them that, that is just an aversion for you? And we got to talk about that in addition to Nightmare on Elm Street. That's, that's very interesting. And that, that was something that I found very striking, too, was how much information all of these people had. So they weren't just talking about their experience on set. They were talking about the genre as a whole and how, you know, their role influenced, you know, other people or how other movies influenced the movie they worked on. Or it was it was amazing how much these people knew about, you know, what they were involved with. It wasn't just a job. It was it, it was it's really kind of a lifestyle. <laughs> It really, it really is, and it, you know, it, it's amazing if you think about it. So I, I, I've got four and a half hours of material, and I talk to about fifty people, and I talk to everyone for an hour or more. So if you do the math, think about what didn't make the film. So, so will there be a sequel? Is there a sequel in the works? <laughs> well, thanks for asking, because there will, there will be a follow-up to In Search of Darkness. It's in the works. And uh, stay tuned for news because there's there's more, and the, the idea is to get uh, a bunch of brand new interviews from people that we weren't able to line up the first time around, and uh, put out not a four hour film, but uh, two two and a half hours of uh, more material. And awesome. uh, stay tuned with that, as uh, you know, currently we're a little bit challenged with actually physically getting in the space to talk to people, but. Uh, I'm optimistic that will change sooner rather than later. Well, if you're salivating wanting to get a copy of this, if you haven't seen it yet, how, does, how do people get a hold of this documentary? Uh, the, the best way to get it right now currently is if you go to any of the uh, socials for In Search of Darkness. So you go to 80s Horror Doc on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. You'll find a link there and click that link and you'll be able to get uh, the film as, as a, a streaming 
or, or as a rental or a, a streaming VOD. And uh, if you sign up for our newsletter at 80shorrordoc.com, uh, you'll find out the next time we do any physical production. Basically, we're a real small company, and we're doing this ourselves. Yep. So we manufacture in batches. So um, you just have to stay tuned. But if you want the instant gratification, I, I wouldn't wait. I would I would go to those uh, streams now, and uh, that's the best way you can watch it. Yeah, I got the stream, and I downloaded it, and it looks amazing on the computer. Like, I watched it off that. I have the, the, the physical copies on its way. It's been shipped, but the, the stream looks amazing. So you guys did such a great job. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Excellent. You get two big Jim, Jim thumbs up. Our, our director of photography, he did an amazing job. He did a couple of the interviews as well. He's great, and uh, he made it look amazing. Yep, you, you get two big Loop and Larry thumbs up. On this. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Nice, nice. Well, that's good. Cool. So we don't, me. We don't send those out very easily. Yeah, that's true. They have to, they're hard-earned. <laughs> well, let's move on to something even more exciting is your next documentary, and uh, you're working on, you're currently working on this right now, right, David? Yes. It's called In Search of Tomorrow. So we just did In Search of Darkness, the 80s horror doc. This is now In Search of Tomorrow, the 80s sci-fi movies doc. And uh, we're going to kickstart it on April 21st, going through May 17th. And uh, if you back it uh, during this time period, you'll be able to get your name in the credits. And uh, we're also building a very cool community. What we realized with In Search of Darkness was that not only were people excited about the film, but people wanted to get together and talk about this and talk about their favorite movies. And it really was a galvanizing uh, force for uh, the horror community. And so we're doing that, and it just happens to serendipitously coincide with a time where we're very tragically and unfortunately stuck inside, and people are looking for either an outlet or a distraction right now, and they might have more time, they might not. So uh, we have a a Discord online community. We're doing watch parties. uh, We're doing Q&As, and you could just get together with like-minded geeks and talk about your favorite 80s sci-fi movies and and the genre in general. And that's just sort of part of the package with the Kickstarter. You get access to that. but we're kickstarting in search of tomorrow, and I, I, I've assembled a lot of talent uh, that's going to be in it, and it's going to be there's going to be more. Um, but we've got some insane, amazing names that I'm very excited about already. So, of the of the two genres, the the horror and the sci-fi, which are you more sort of in tune with? Really, you want to you want me to choose between my children? <laughs> <laughs> Larry yes. goes right at it. You need to just call right me now, Sophie. Right <laughs> <laughs> Do you have? Well, I'll like, answer that. For growing you. up, uh, did you I have them both for all sorts of different reasons. But uh, when I was uh, when I was executive editor of Famous Monsters, this should probably be very telling. Uh, I, I I capitalized on the opportunity that it, it's not just monsters and it's not just horror. It's also sci-fi and fantasy and superheroes. And I, I, I very much incorporated that in the, in the coverage that we did, you know, present day and looking back <clears throat> for famous monsters, because that's what the magazine had already done. And that's what made me happy that I could continue doing that. I, I, I've, I've always been a huge sci-fi nut. Uh, you know, Star Wars rocked my world, but... I was a monster kid leading up to that, but I also was a Star Trek kid, you know, and Planet of the Apes. So I would say uh, I refuse to choose because <laughs> I've just been, uh, my, my whole foundation is ingrained in, these, in this genre of uh, entertainment. 
I found uh, sci-fi such a weird genre in the 80s in that uh, horror was a little different in that you could have a smaller budget. But when you're doing sci-fi, you almost needed a bigger budget in order to pull off certain special effects and make them look kind of cool. And uh, so talk a little bit about that, like the, the difference in between the, the, the sci-fi genre in the 80s. Yeah, well, sci-fi is, is an interesting beast because uh, you can have a small film and get away with a lot of it. But for the most part, when you get to the effects, that's sort of the telling sign. But, uh, I mean, there are low-budget films. I mean, you know, after in the wake of Star Wars, everyone, everyone wanted to make their own version of Star Wars. And um, for every pretty painful experience, hoping that you would get another Star Wars and seeing that they practically crayoned the lasers in on, on the, <laughs> the motion, uh, you'd get a movie like Roger Corman's Battle Beyond the Stars, which was really well done, and the effects are really good. Um, you know, it's still a very derivative film uh, of Star Wars, but and you can see that. But there's creativity in the storytelling, you know, the Seven Samurai adaptation storytelling, and the effects themselves are really good, you know. And, boy, it's the only spaceship in, in uh, sci-fi that, that, that looks like an attractive woman's body, if you take a good look. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Carmen's like, if we're not going to put TNA in there, it's got to be on the ship. So design the ship. <laughs> yeah, right. torso. He, he found the And loophole. if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, go to Battle Beyond the Stars and look at their ship. And then you'll, <clears throat> excuse me, then you'll, you'll see what we're talking about. You can't unsee it once you see it. It seems that, it seems that people are a little more forgiving with the lower budget horror so as long as there's as long as it's sort of atmospheric and y you could go super cheap with it, but I think I, I, at least for me it, when it came to sci-fi, if you went super cheap and it looked super cheap, I didn't I didn't always buy it. Do you know what I mean? So I think I, I from my experience, people were harsher on the the super low budget uh, sci-fi genre that they were on the than they were on the horror side. Did you did you yeah, find you, that? You make that's a very important point that you're making there, and uh, that was a challenge that I had to really give a lot of thought to going into this project for In Search of Tomorrow because I I felt very much that way too. But what I've learned over time is that uh, for all all the phenomenal top films, you know, if you got E.T. or Aliens or you know uh, uh, you know Empire Strikes Back, uh, RoboCop, Terminator. The thing is, you have a, a, a litany of, of amazing straight-to-video, arguably schlock, depending on how you look at it. You know, Mad Max knockoffs. But I've found, uh, and this is something where I really had to sort of rewire my brain to understand, but I agree completely. Uh, I would throw things out there. I'm like, okay, well, what do you guys think of Saturn Three? What do you think of Solar Babies? What do you think of Galaxina? You know, what do you think of these movies? Uh, even batteries not included, you know, because I was a little older when that came out, and I, I kind of wasn't interested in it. I was like, well, I've done Cocoon. I've done the old people sci-fi movie. I don't need to see batteries not included. But all of these movies, they, they, they have a very important spot in everybody's comfort food center. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they were at a, a certain age at a certain time when everyone saw these things. A lot of these movies, for many people, they saw it the first time before they saw what it was derivative of. So to them, it was a new experience, and it was original to them. And it was only later that they realized that it was a complete carbon copy of some other film. 
And so all these movies have meaning, uh, nostalgic meaning uh, for everyone when they saw it. And so there's an element of understanding and appreciating these movies and their place when they might not be the best in terms of quality or uh, writing and critical acclaim. So I think, I think that's why it's super cool. And one, one key example I use often is like Superman 3. You know, Superman's an alien from outer space, so that qualifies. But on top of that, I was a huge fan of Superman 1 and Superman 2, and then Superman 3 came along, and I, I, was, I was upset that they turned him into a punchline, and it was a comedy. It just didn't work for me, especially after how intense Superman 2 was, yeah. you know, with the, with the Phantom Zone criminals and General Zod. And there's this whole generation that saw this movie for the first time as their first Superman movie, and enjoyed the comic book elements of it. And then at the end, when he's fighting the supercomputer, and uh, that, that one character gets enveloped into the supercomputer and becomes a, a robot herself, that scared the absolute crap out of a generation of people. And you, you could throw it on Twitter and say, and show that moment and say, admit it, this, this, this disturbed you. And you wouldn't, you'd be amazed at at, at how many responses say, oh, that wrecked my, my childhood. What I love in the sci-fi genre, too, like, how much does, not as much, like, I mean, horror and sci-fi sort of cross over, like, in an alien, for instance, aliens and alien and all that, but also in the, in this, I guess, the uh, fantasy element, like, we watched Crawl last week, mm-hmm. and which is like, a, it's like a fantasy, but it's got sci-fi elements in it. So how how, yeah. how 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 is sci-fi like in the, like it sort of is able to meld all of those together in some ways? Well, why did you choose Crow and not Your Hunter from the Future? I'm, I'm befuddled. I don't understand why. <laughs> Crow is one of those movies I I remember as a kid loving, and then we just decided to rewatch it because I had bought it not that long ago. The actually the packaging looks like a VHS for it, like the way they they oh, sold cool. it. So, but anyways, it was it was interesting because I forgot how sci-fi it was. Because yeah. it, it, was, it was basically aliens had come to Earth. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's that's like Knights of the Creeps. That's like you know, a lot of these movies are just like it, it, it's it's a very familiar terrain, but it starts with alien origins. But uh, there's a lot of genre bleed and crossover and straddling in sci-fi. Um, that was another challenge for me in terms of well, what exactly am I allowed to cover in this? Because I want to cover so much. You know, where does post-apocalyptic uh, dystopian uh, uh, fantasies fit in if it's Mad Max or DEFCON 4 or something like that? Um, Swamp Thing and, and, and movies where uh, Reanimator, you know, all these, all these movies are sci-fi, the fly. Um, you know, when, when technology uh, goes awry and there are consequences, uh, you know, even Godzilla, um, it, it fits. And uh, so, you know, Aliens is, is the ideal movie to talk about because it's, it really straddles three different genres. It's sci-fi, it's action, it's horror. Yeah. And that's actually a movie a lot of people brought up saying, how come that's not in search of darkness? And for me personally, I've always envisioned it as a sci-fi film with action and horror in it. But uh, it's all about the perception of what you want to see more of or how you perceive it. But um, uh, I think it's actually a wonderful thing that you get such a wide variety in sci-fi because many people who perceive sci-fi, they think, well, it's Star Trek or Star Wars and I'm not interested, you know, but there's so much more to it and so much more qualifies, you know, Cold War films, you know, whether it's Blue Thunder or, or Firefox or War Games or, 
even real genius, you know, a lot of weird science, <laughs> you know, <laughs> these things, they all, they all fit. And so the, the, the task at hand is seeing how they all fit uh, in, in this big puzzle from a sociopolitical context and, and, and how it, it applies in terms of the technology then versus technology now. It's lots of uh, fun terrain to tackle. Yeah, I found too in the last, uh, like in the horror doctors, like movies like They Live and The Thing and movies like that that could have easily been in either genre. You know, and I, I, I put it in In Search of Darkness and I feel like, well, I did it already, but I have to remember it's an entirely different film for an entirely different genre. Yeah. And so there is lots of crossover and there will be, you know, Night of the Comet, The Fly, The Thing, those, The Blob, those movies have to be in the sci fi documentary as well. It's interesting when you describe it that way, it got me thinking to movies that would never have really been traditionally classified as science fiction. However, if you think about even a movie like the original Frankenstein, mm -hmm. that could technically fall into the sci-fi category because it's... Absolutely. It's, because it's, based on scientific knowledge and experimentation and technology, they brought, they brought a body to life. Yeah. Uh, you know? It, it wouldn't have... It did, it's not a... He's not a zombie. It, it's because of... You know, Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein had a vision, good or bad. Uh, yeah. You know, similarly, it's kind of fun to sort of take that and also draw comparisons to, you know, Metropolis and, and the amazing movies that are uh, the foundational films of sci-fi and how it all sort of comes together as uh, standing on the shoulders of giants during the 80s. Yeah. In fact, Metropolis came back in the 80s. Uh, music producer Giorgio Moroder brought Metropolis back in a restored version and colorized it and gave it an amazing uh, pop culture soundtrack for, you know, uh, you know, Queen and, and other, uh, other uh, bands, you know, to this amazing soundtrack to it, which probably feels even that much more 80s time capsule centric. But I, I give him, Giorgio Moroder, incredible credit trying to sort of bring this back to a whole generation that had been inspired by Star Wars but didn't necessarily know Metropolis, and and that C-3PO is is a direct descendant of Maria in Metropolis, and so you know expanding and educating and and contextualizing, it's all very cool. That version of Metropolis was actually my introduction to the movie. <laughs> that was oh, there that you was, go. That was the first time I the first time I ever saw that movie was with the you know the rock and roll soundtrack and. I, I thought it was so cool. Like I had never seen anything like that with footage that was so old, but then colorized and put to this soundtrack of music that I liked at the time. And it, because of that, it made me search out the original. There you go. Which, you, you know, like Blade Runner, Blade Runner and, and the, and the, the cityscape and the spinners, it, it all, it's all, there are direct moments in that, in Blade Runner that you could immediately just do a side by side of uh, Metropolis and it all makes sense. What are some of the movies you're going to be focusing on in this sci-fi doc? Because there's just so many to choose from. Well, what are some of your favorites? Let's see if we could get it in there. <laughs> Let me see. Well, Blade Runner, uh, Blade Runner for sure. Back on, you know, I could throw it back at you on the spot, but I, 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 I joke, but I don't. I mean, it's like I kind of want to say uh, everything. You know, everything from, from Flash Gordon to, to uh, Saturn Three to, you know, a lot of the Charlie Band stuff, uh, you know, like, um, and he's going to be in our film. Uh, he did he did Empire Pictures in the 80s and Full Moon in the 90s. And, you know, Trancers, the Trancers movies and um, 
you know, Metal's, uh, uh, Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin, you know, those movies all fit in there. The 3D, you know, revolution that came and went very quickly. They were part of that with Parasite and Metal Storm. A wide variety, you know, Steel Dawn. If you're going to, if you're going to talk about Mad Max, you got to talk about Patrick Swayze and Steel Dawn. Um, <laughs> It's uh, it, it, a lot of it. A lot of it is going to be relevant to the 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 talent that we have. Right, who you got? And, and we and we have uh, you know we, we plan to talk about things if we don't have the talent there, but we have amazing folks there. So, like for example, you know we have Sam J. Jones, Flash Gordon himself. So we, wow. we have to oh, talk nice. about Flash Gordon. You know, you know, as Star Trek is concerned, you know we have Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek II: Wrath of Khan, and. You know, he did. He wrote Star Trek four and six, and also, but he 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 can say a thing or two about time travel because he did time after time in 1979. We have we have amazing visual effects folks. You know, we've got like Dennis Muren, we've got uh, Phil Tippett, um, we've got Douglas Trumbull, uh, who also, in addition to doing the effects for Blade Runner uh, and 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 Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and prior to that, he did Close Encounters in 2001. He's an Oscar winner. But he also directed Brainstorm, so Brainstorm will be front and center in the film. Yeah, um, you know, having John Carpenter back to talk about uh, uh, Starman is something I'm excited to share with everybody. And um, you know, I sat down with Sean. I've, I've sat, I had a couple sit downs before things slowed down. So I sat down with John Sean Young to talk Blade Runner and to talk Dune. Um, it's it's a it's it's an amazing collection of really cool talent that makes me happy. You know, um, uh, uh, I'm looking through my list here. You know, Peter Hyams. You know, Outland is one of my all-time oh, favorite yeah. films with Sean Connery. He directed Outland. He also tackled the sequel to 2001 with 2010, and I thought that was a superb film. Yeah. You know. So to discuss things like that is very exciting to me. You know, Bob Gale is in the film, and he's talking, you know, he wrote the Back to the Future trilogy. Um, you know, we also have, like, the, you know, we talked about, um, did we talk about Night of the Comet? <laughs> I can't remember. We, we, we can continue to talk about Night of the Comet. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, well, Night of the Comet, you know, is in there. And um, that's so many. Uh, uh John John Badham, who directed War Games and Blue Thunder and Short Circuit, and Nancy oh, wow. Allen of RoboCop, and Paul Verhoeven directed RoboCop, and uh, you know Kurtwood Smith, and yeah, we're 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 adding more and more people uh, as we speak. This isn't even the full cast, so we're we're getting more people from the Star Wars franchise, from the Aliens franchise, and Terminator, and um, I, just so excited to add even more. And uh, so there you go. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in sort of like laundry list of talent pitch mode. So I'm going to have to scale back. <laughs> so, so are you planning, uh, is this new doc going to have the same sort of structure as the horror doc with the going year by year? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. People yeah. really responded positively to that organization considering so much ground needed to be covered. So, Yes, I'm going to go year by year, uh, 1980 to 1989, uh, and um, in between there's going to be larger context chapters on everything from visual effects to heroes and villains to robots to the sociopolitical pop culture elements of the 80s that, that informed a lot of these films, and uh, it's going to be exactly the same. And there might be there might be a little bleed. I'm going to I'm going to find a way. Like I've got Joseph Bottoms of the Black Hole in this movie. You know, that would, and, uh, I think that would be fantastic. I don't, I don't know how you couldn't. 
<laughs> like we were talking about. <laughs> and the black hole came out in 1979. They came out two weeks before 1980 came around. Same, same as uh, Star Trek the Motion Picture. Did I mention I have Walter Koenig check off from Star Trek? Oh wow! Oh, this is fantastic. Um, I'm excited about so, this already. And, and, yes, and Adam Nimoy, you know Leonard Nimoy's son is in it. Uh, I've got Will Wheaton, you know, who is in Next Generation, but he's he's a, he's a, a, a sci-fi geek authority. Um, lots of Star Trek folks. It, it's um, all this stuff fits together, you know. So like with the Black Hole, uh, it's a beloved film that a lot of people feel like is an '80s film, even though it came out two weeks before, technically. But yeah. uh, you know, you, you can't. It, it, it's part of the pantheon of Star Wars came out and changed the game, and everyone tried to be like Star Wars. And then I think a lot of these movies. Uh, when you have a, a towering film coming out, you know, for every ET, you've got a Mac and B. And guess what? We're going to talk about Mac and B. We have to. <laughs> you can have Paul Rudd showing a clip from that. <laughs> I want Paul Rudd. If you're listening, I so badly want you to sit down and defend Mac and B. I really want. <laughs> I love that. Every time he's on Conan, always shows that clip every single time. Love it. Every single time, it's just, it never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> and another element of the of this film which is going to be different which i think is going to be very cool is that there's a lot of you know in terms of contemporary times a lot of our technology and our our um, endeavors are directly influenced or indirectly influenced by technology and concepts in 80s sci-fi so boy how, how cool would it be great it would be great to have elon musk you know sit and talk about uh you know back to the future and the delorean and 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 you know, who knows? Maybe, you know, is his new SUV. <laughs> Did he have a big track as a kid? And now that, he, you know, is that, does that inform his design? But, uh, you know, he also launched a, a convertible into space and guaranteed that's the ultimate pop culture nod to heavy metal. And so how cool would it be to talk about that? That would, that would be amazing. That, 100%. If you can make that happen, I, I'll be the first in line to on the Kickstarter campaign. Well, we're trying. We are trying. Elon Musk. Are you listening? Yes. Are you <laughs> oh, right. I will come to you. <laughs> the thing I love about sci-fi, because horror in your documentary, like it shows how they, the special effects were basically, you know, kind of almost developed in that genre. But in, as far as like uh, uh, practical special effects, but in this, like, it's the to me, it's the the people designing the the ships and the and the and the sets. I mean, there's so much there's so much texture to a lot of the scenes in these movies, like that you kind of miss. When we were watching Crawl, even like the, like sets in that were amazing. Absolutely. Well, I mean, also like we were, I keep on going back to these Roger Corman films. A lot of the talent that we that became uh, well known started in that Roger Corman camp, like Joe Dante and even James Cameron. And James Cameron, you know, he did matte paintings for uh, for for Escape from New York. And uh, he did a lot. Of, he did the effects work for uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. And so, that how cool would it be to talk to James Cameron not only about Aliens and Terminator and the Abyss, but his formative years uh, being extremely having forced to be resourceful with the budget that he pretty much didn't have, uh, you know, to make those movies and how that how that informed and influenced his later career and and tight tight style of filmmaking based on budgetary restrictions, at least at first. That would be amazing. Uh, the, uh, the thing I found, just talking about the, the sets and the look of these things, unlike horror, where they had to be creative with their, 
kills and their frights and their jump scares, sci-fi had to create entire worlds. So they, they sort of had to create universes and cities and planets and places we have never seen before. So it was a, it was a totally different type of escape. Uh, oh, well, I, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny to, to go on more with these matte paintings. Boy, I wish, you know, Ralph McQuarrie were still around to talk to him, but his legacy is extremely important. And, uh, you know, Ralph McQuarrie designed a lot of the characters, but also did the, some of the most amazing matte paintings for yeah. Star, Star Wars films. Um, Harrison Ellenshaw, I'd love to talk to him. He did matte paintings for The Black Hole as well. Uh, as well as uh, Tron effects. Um, these, these are all people that I would love to talk about because you have to remember there were budgetary restrictions. But they also had to build incredible worlds. And how did they do it and how did they approach it? And what what uh, corners did they have to cut uh, to make it happen and do it so effectively? That's the conversation that we're going to be having, and I, I'm very excited to do it. That's really cool. So, for the doc itself, like, how do how how does the Kickstarter work? How do we get involved with that? Well, April twenty first, uh, Tuesday, April twenty first. I'm not sure if this podcast is up before or after that. It'll be up before. Um, okay, so a- Tuesday, April twenty first, the the Kickstarter starts. Go to eighties eighties sci fi doc dot com eight zero s sci fi doc dot com. And that will direct you straight to the Kickstarter page. And uh, there are different levels of, uh, of of participation. Again, you get your credit in this movie, which is super cool to share with the likes of the people that I mentioned. And uh, there's some other perks as well that you get, uh, depending on the level that you join. You know, a DVD or a Blu-ray, uh, posters, pins, cool stuff like that. Even more participation with uh, uh, the film itself and Along with this, you get access to this this Discord community that we're doing, this online community with all these cool events. And, uh, you know, you you get to have a say in this film as well. You get to share your opinions of what you'd love and what you'd love to see. And you get to even see the rough cut before anyone else to share your opinion. So we're trying to build something that's more than just back this documentary so we can make it. It's it's really sort of a... a, uh, a fan-driven experience where you could be part of the creative process, and we think that's super cool. And we think that uh, now more than ever is the best time to get involved with other people to distract yourself from the reality of what's you know we're all experiencing right now, which I hope will blow over soon. I hope I hope we're out before Puxatawney Phil shows his head. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the timing the timing is perfect. People want nostalgia. And I think being able to be a part of the Kickstarter campaign of being this is as close as people can get to be being involved with the whole being like immersed in the whole sci-fi genre that we love. Yeah. You know, these, these interviews, what's going to be very cool is, uh, you know, you were talking about sci-fi is different from horror in a lot of ways in terms of, of its perception. And, and sci-fi is also something that people have really dissected and done uh, many, many deep dives before into a lot of these films. A lot of these films have not been talked about, and a lot of these films, there are still stories to be told. And overall, it's really cool to have a lot of these well-known folks talk about some of their favorites. You don't really get that anywhere else. Usually they're just talking about their own projects. So very much like we did with In Search of Darkness, we want that sort of campfire approach where you're hanging out, you know, having a bunch of drinks with with these icons of, of the era 
talking about what, what excites them and what lights the fire in their bellies. And so that's what we're going to be doing for this. Well, David, in your hands, I think we are going to get the, the deepest, most interesting look back at what made us all geeky. And, and I, <laughs> I, 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 for yeah. one... I, for one, could if not anything, be more excited. Check out the trailer that we're debuting on uh, on on Tuesday, and I think that'll stoke your excitement as well. We, we have a brand new trailer that we're putting together. We have actually two trailers, couple, several trailers being put together, but uh, I think the Kickstarter video will definitely make you remember. Oh my God! You, not only do I forget about this movie or this moment, but you're actually including that movie at that moment. Uh, you'd be surprised at how much, how how wide and broad and all-encompassing sci-fi can be, and and you might be surprised at at, at how much you connect with this than, than you might have forgotten. You know, as we get older, you remember these things, but you compartmentalize it. But when it's in your face and you see a montage of some of the most amazing sci-fi moments and, and lines, you go, oh, my God, I really, I miss this. I really do. Well, David, and, we want to thank you so much, and uh, stay safe. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure chatting with you guys. I really appreciate you spreading the word, and I love your podcast. And I, I would make the sound of the Wilhelm, but it would probably sound like a, a dead seal. You can practice that. you got lots of time to work on that. Ow! <laughs> there you go. Sounds like a rock and roll sound. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, David. We appreciate your time. All right, everybody, that is it for the show. We'll see you next time on Loop and Larry, Guardians of Geek. Produced by Matthew C. Loop and Lawrence Simner. A Loop and Larry production. Bueller. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. Bueller. Bad news. Fog is getting thicker. And Leon's getting larger. Inconceivable. Brian's right. It's an elf. Works on. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Oh, Captain. My Captain. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Wax off.